This sermon was delivered at Grand Avenue Baptist Church, a gospel-centered church in Ames, Iowa. Hear more sermons and learn more about Grand Avenue at gabcames.org. Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 13, 1 through 23, and it can be found on page 10 of your service guide. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down while the whole crowd stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where it did have much soil, and it grew up quickly, since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. Still other seeds fell on good ground and produced fruit, some hundred, some sixty, some thirty times what was sown. Let any one who has ears listen. Then the disciples came up and asked him, Why are you speaking to them in parables? He answered, Because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know, but it has not been given to them. For whoever has will be given to him, and he will have more than enough. But, in, but whoever does not have even what he has, will he be taking away from him. That is why I speak to them in parables, because looking they do not see, and hearing they do not listen. For understand, Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them, which says, You will listen and listen, but never understand. You will look and look, but never perceive. For this people's heart is grown callous, their ears are hard of hearing, they have shut their eyes, otherwise they might see their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts, and turn back and I will would heal them. Blessed are you blessed are your eyes because they do see and your ears because they do hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see the things you see, but didn't see them, to hear the things you hear, but didn't hear them. So listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word but the kingdom, about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away. That was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. And the one sown on rocky ground, this is the one... <coughs> who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root and is short-lived. When distress and persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now the one sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but worries of his age and deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But the one sown on the good ground is the one who hears it and understands the word who does produce fruit and yields some hundred, some sixty, some thirty times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be here this morning to hear your word preached. And Lord, we ask that uh, as your word is proclaimed, that your spirit would be at work, causing our hearts to be ready to receive that word and to believe that word. Lord, we pray that you would remove all distractions from us and give us hearts that want to lean in to the gospel and truly understand who Jesus is for us. Father, that's a miracle that only you can perform. So give me grace as I preach and give us grace as we hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we've been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew over the past couple of weeks, uh, we've been seeing, especially in these last two chapters, a variety of responses to the proclamation of the kingdom as Jesus is preaching it. Uh, back in chapter 12, we, and we've seen quite a bit how hardened the hearts are of the Pharisees who are now actually plotting to kill Jesus. We've seen John the Baptist, who was once such a passionate proclaimer of Jesus as the Messiah. He is now suffering persecution in prison. And he's beginning to ask the question, Jesus, are you really the Messiah or should we be looking for somebody else? And even Jesus' own mother and brothers are worried. Last week's passage ended with them coming, wanting to talk to him in uh, this house where he was teaching. And Mark's Gospel tells us that they had set out to restrain him because they said he's out of his mind. And they're worried about the safety of Jesus. They think he's a little bit off in the head. And they've come to keep him from continuing on in this path. And then we have the disciples who are continuing to follow Jesus. And they're pressing in and they're wanting to understand more about the kingdom. And so the good news of the kingdom as it's being preached is meeting a variety of responses. And last week ended with Jesus asking the question, who is my mother and who are my brothers? That is, who are my real family? Who are my real people? And his answer is, it's those who do the will of my Father in heaven. That's who are my true people. And this passage this morning takes place, Matthew tells us, on the same day, immediately after he leaves the house. Which means that that question... Who are my mother and my brothers? Who are my real people? That question is still ringing in their ears and it should ring in our ears this morning. Who are Jesus' true people? How do they respond? And more to the point, how am I responding to the message of the kingdom? Now these large crowds follow Jesus to the sea. And they're pressing in on him so much that he needs to get into a boat where he can be pushed off a little bit from the sea and he can sit down in that boat and it provides him some distance and kind of a natural amphitheater with the seaside where he can continue to teach these large crowds. And Matthew tells us that Jesus told them many things in parables. And he begins by saying, consider the sower who went out to sow. And this scene would have been familiar to Jesus' disciples. They would have seen this in the countryside of Galilee all the time. You have a farmer who's gone out to his field, which has largely probably been plowed, ready for the seed. 
He has a sack of seed tied to his belt and he's reaching into it and he's just broadcasting the seed over a large section of his field and just walking through and continuing to do that. Jesus says, as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. And even a few weeks ago, we saw that Jesus and his disciples were walking through the fields on the Sabbath. There were no fences that fenced off the fields. And so travelers would just walk through the fields and and natural paths would form uh, shortest distance from one point to another. And you would continue to take that path. And and as travelers continued to use these footpaths, the, the land there where they walked would become compacted and hard, sort of like a sidewalk. And the seed that would land on it wouldn't sink into the soil because it's hardened and it would be easy for the birds to land and pluck up that seed before it even had a chance to sprout. He says other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep, but when the sun came it was scorched since it had no root, it withered away. And this rocky ground refers to areas in the field where the limestone bedrock would have been close to the surface, and so the topsoil would have been very shallow. And while the seeds were germinating in that rich topsoil, especially in the cool part of the planting season, it would have been easy for it to sprout up, but when the temperatures got warmer and the sun got hotter, the the moisture would evaporate from that thin topsoil. And having no developed root system and access to water, those plants would quickly wither and die. Other seeds, he says, fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it out. And parts of the field may have uh, thorn patches that had a well-established, you know how how weeds are in your yard, they have well-established root systems, and they're hardy, and they come up, and the seed that fell among these thorns, little sprouts of seed, wouldn't have the ability to compete with the well-established root systems of these thorns, and they would be quickly choked out and unable to get nourishment from the soil and the water they need, and they would die. And then he says, still other seed fell on good ground. This is the ground that was able to be plowed up. It was soft. It was free from thorns and had rich, deep topsoil. And so it produced fruit. Some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown as grain does. And then Jesus closes this parable with a simple command. Let anyone who has ears listen. And he started with the command, consider the parable. He ends with the command, listen. And his listeners then, and his listeners today, that's us, He calls to pay attention and to make an effort to understand what He says and what He means. We have a responsibility to be intentional about leaning in and applying ourselves to understanding the message of the kingdom that has come in Christ. Now, verse 10 signals an important shift in the context and Jesus' audience. He's finished the parable, and then his disciples come up to him. So perhaps he's taken a break from teaching. The crowds are maybe eating lunch or mingling among themselves or finding the local facilities. And Jesus' disciples come up to him. This is a huddle sort of with his disciples. 
And in this private audience, they ask him, why are you speaking to them, that is to the crowds, in parables? Their question in this instance is not, what does this parable mean? But why are you using parables? And that becomes, his answer becomes the point of our passage that Matthew wants us to understand as he records this. Not merely what does it mean, but why is Jesus choosing this method of teaching? And his answer is very simple. He says, because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know, but it has not been given to them. I teach them in parables because the secrets of the kingdom have been given to you to know, but they haven't been given to them. The meaning of Jesus' ministry and the nature of His kingdom that He preaches is what He calls in His own word a secret or mystery. And a secret is something that you can't know unless somebody tells you. Unless they reveal it to you. A mystery is something that you can't comprehend until you've been given the solution. And Jesus reveals the secret, the meaning of His kingdom to His disciples when He's with them in private. Later on in Matthew, He will tell them, the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn Him to death. They will hand Him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. And on the third day, He will be raised. The Messiah is going to be put to death by crucifixion and raised from the dead. And then he goes on to explain that even further, this is because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And so here is the significance, the secret of the kingdom arriving in Jesus Christ. It's that God's King, the Messiah, has arrived. And He is the perfect embodiment of everything humans and Israel in particular should have ever been. He is the righteous Son of God who obeys His Father in every way. And yet, He goes to a cross where He's put under God's curse. But He's not being cursed because He's done anything wrong. He is paying with His own life a ransom for His people. Because He's dying on the cross the death they deserve. He is paying with His own life for their sins. And He doesn't remain dead after they bury Him as though the curse could hold him because he deserves it. No, God raises him from the dead on the third day to prove that he's no longer cursed. The payment for sin has been satisfied. The grave is conquered and the head of the serpent has been crushed. Just as God promised He would do from the moment of the fall. And those who see that this is what Jesus is doing, and to believe that He really is the Savior who has come to remove sin and to give new life to His people so that they will be raised from the dead to live in His kingdom with Him forever and ever. Those who see that, those who believe that, those who announce and, re- and, and rejoice in Jesus as this conquering, crucified and risen King, 
God declares their sins to be forgiven. He declares them to be righteous with the righteousness of Christ. And one day when Jesus Christ returns, He will raise them from the dead to dwell with them in a new heavens and a new earth forever. That is the mystery of the kingdom. That is the good news, the gospel. But not everybody sees and understands that the kingdom of God has arrived in Jesus, the Messiah. As the previous chapters illustrated, the response to Jesus is mixed. Because as they anticipated this king and the redemption of God's kingdom, they were looking for this immediate and dramatic display of power and glory. When the Messiah comes, He'll give us relief immediately from all of our enemies. We will have a life that is easy and comfortable. And they couldn't accept anything less. But when the kingdom arrives, it is cloaked in the self-effacing humility of suffering and death. And because it didn't offer them what they wanted, when they wanted it, they rejected Jesus and moved on. Like the crowds later when Jesus feeds the 5,000. And they're all excited about Him. And they want Him to be their King. And then He refuses to give them bread the next time. And the crowds all go away. Because this isn't the kind of kingdom they wanted. They wanted bread abundantly. Not hunger and thirsting. The secret of the kingdom had not been given to them to know. So the question arises, why have the secrets of the kingdom been given to Jesus' disciples, but not to other people? And Jesus tells them in verse 12, For whoever has, more will be given to him. And he will have more than enough. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Those who have been given the secret of the kingdom, their eyes have been opened so they can understand who Jesus is. What do they do? They press into Jesus. And they follow Him. And they want more of Him. They want to know Him and, and what this kingdom is that He is bringing. They do the will of the Father, as Jesus says. And what is the will of the Father? But to believe in the One that He has sent, who is Jesus. So they press into the kingdom. And as they press into the kingdom, they get more of Jesus. And as they receive more, they press in more. And in the end, they have more than enough because they have the fullness of Christ, which is given to us by grace through faith as we believe in Him. But those who don't have Christ, even what they do have, Jesus says, will be taken away. Now, what does that mean? Take Israel, for example. What, what did Israel have? They had the status of being God's chosen people on earth. God made a covenant with their father Abraham. And the covenant promises were passed along through them, through the law given to them, through the prophets who preached to them. They were the bearers of the Word of God. What a high privilege that is to have the status of being God's people who God had dwelled with. 
But that covenant and all those promises and the the dwelling of God is fulfilled in Jesus Emmanuel. God with us. All of God's promises to Israel and to all of humanity find their yes and their amen entirely in Christ and in His person and His work. And so if you reject Jesus, you reject the kingdom. If you refuse Christ, you reject the status of being the Messiah's people. And so if they don't have Christ in His kingdom, they lose even what they thought they had. What they have has been taken away from them. In fact, it's become what was once an asset has become a liability. Because when we have the privilege of knowing God's Word, walking with His people, having lives of comfort where we can be undistracted and be able to know who Jesus is, and then we reject Jesus, how much greater is our judgment? Even what we had that was good becomes a judgment as it's taken away or a grounds for judgment. And there's a warning in this for us all. You cannot have God's kingdom apart from having God's King. You can't have salvation apart from having God's Savior. And you can't be a part of God's people apart from having the perfect One, Jesus. He's everything. And apart from Jesus, you have nothing. And we should note the element of judgment in Jesus' answer. Those who reject the kingdom and have even what they had taken away from them are only receiving what they have chosen. Look at verses 13 through 15. Jesus says, That is why I speak to them in parables. Because looking, they do not see. And hearing, they do not understand. They do not listen or understand. The secrets of the kingdom are not given to them because when they hear, they don't listen. There's something volitional, willful in that. That Jesus would choose the word listen. That command to listen means there's something you need to do. You need to lean into this. Pay attention to this. And when the Word comes to them, they don't want to pay attention to it. They don't want what it is. They will not listen. And so they don't understand. And Jesus says, this fulfills Isaiah's prophecy. And He quotes the prophecy found all the way back in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9-10. through 10. You might remember the setting of that prophecy in Isaiah 6. Isaiah has entered the throne room of God and seen God seated on His throne the enthroned judge over his people. And Isaiah says, Woe is me because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. This is not a neutral setting. This is a setting in which God's holiness is coming in contact with a people who have been willfully unholy. In the first five chapters of Isaiah that come before that scene, Israel has been chastised for being a stiff-necked and stubborn people. 
idolatrous, unjust, unfaithful, murderous. They've refused to listen to and follow the word of the Lord that has so graciously been given to them. They were a nation that enjoyed the fruit of the land, who knew God's word. Nevertheless, they were stubborn, stiff-necked, and hard-hearted, set in their rebellion and in their rejection of the Lord. And while the Lord promises throughout Isaiah that He is going to redeem His people, judgment is going to come first. And the Lord tells Isaiah, announce this judgment. Here's how I'm going to judge my people. Here's how I'm going to cut down the tree until only a seed remains. Keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not perceive. The good news is going to be announced through my prophet, and you're going to hear it, but no matter how hard you listen to it, you won't understand it. No matter how intensely you look into my prophets, you won't perceive the kingdom because you have chosen to reject me, your Lord. And so when my word comes, you won't get me. Their judgment is an intensification of what they've chosen. They will keep on rejecting the Lord. They didn't want to hear His word and so they won't be able to hear His word. And they will not be healed. And in our passage, Jesus says that Isaiah's prophecy is being fulfilled in his day. And it's even being fulfilled in our day as the kingdom is announced. Those who reject Jesus will listen and listen, but they will never understand. They will look and they'll keep on looking, but they'll never perceive. Because their heart has grown callous resulting in deafness and blindness and preventing them from ever seeing and ever hearing. And if they never see and they never understand, they will never be healed. And the reason why they can't understand is because they've already rejected the answer. If you reject Jesus, you can look at God's Word and look at God's Word and hear God's Word and hear God's Word and you'll never come to the right conclusion because you've already rejected it. There is no other right answer than Christ. And if you have rejected Him, you'll never find the answer in His Word because you've already crossed it off your list of possible answers. But after this word of judgment comes this word of blessing. And this is what Jesus is saying to His disciples. And it's what He's saying to those of us this morning who believe. He says, blessed are your eyes because they do see. Blessed are your ears because they do hear. Your eyes see that Jesus is the King. You understand that God's kingdom has arrived in Jesus. The secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you to know. And that's not your doing. They are blessed. You are blessed with divine favor. And so as we hear that word of judgment on those who have rejected God... And they're hardened and they're blind and they're deaf and that's why they will never hear and understand. We shouldn't say, well, we're better than them. No, Jesus immediately says, you're blessed. 
when you understand. It's a blessing of God's grace to hear the gospel and believe it. It's a privilege of divine grace. And there are strong notes in this passage of both God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And that tension doesn't bother the authors of the Bible. And Jesus doesn't try to untangle it here. Those who are deaf remain deaf because they've chosen not to hear. And those who hear and understand the Word do so because God has graciously chosen to give them ears. And show them the truth. Believing is a blessed state. It is a blessed privilege to understand who Jesus is. Jesus goes on to say, because truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see the things you see, but they didn't see them. To hear the things you hear, but they didn't hear them. Ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden, when God promised the seed of the woman is going to come and crush the head of the serpent, God's people have been looking for that Redeemer to come. Ever since God promised Abraham that his offspring would be blessed, God's people have been waiting for that offspring to arrive. Ever since God promised David, one of your sons will sit on the throne and he'll reign forever, God's people have been looking for that son, but they've never seen him except by faith from afar. But Jesus is the arrival of everything God promised. And they had the blessing of seeing Him and hearing Him and believing in Him. And today when we hear the Gospel, when we hear that the Kingdom has come in Christ, we are among the most blessed people in all of history to see its fulfillment and understand it and believe it. All of God's people before His arrival wanted to see Jesus. And now we get to see Him. And it's on that note that Jesus goes back to the parable to explain it. And He says, so, listen. Notice that word, so. Or then, or, or therefore. He's saying, because you've been blessed to understand the Gospel, be all the more careful to listen. Because God has given you the privilege of understanding the Kingdom, make an effort to keep understanding the Kingdom. Lean in to God's Word. Because God has blessed you to see it and to know what it means. And he says, so then listen to the parable of the sower. It's interesting that Jesus calls it the parable of the sower. And he opened the parable saying, consider the sower because the parable and its explanation are all about the soils and the response to the seed or to the Word of God. The the sower really plays a very minor role in this. But maybe that's part of what Jesus wants them to see. Consider the sower. Who's the sower? It's the one who goes out spreading God's Word. And and that includes Jesus, and it includes His disciples who preach the Gospel in His day, and it includes every one of us who believe the Gospel and share it with other people. 
And Jesus is reminding us part of the nature of being a sower is that there's a whole lot of different responses to the seed. And that doesn't depend on the sower. And it doesn't make the seed any less the seed. The mixed response to the Gospel should not make the disciples doubt the truth of the message that Jesus is the King. And the same should be true of us. The fault isn't in the messenger or the message. There's a whole lot going on in the soil and in the heart that we can't see. So just because your first handful of seed on the edge of the field falls on a path and a murder of crows comes down and eats up all the seed, you shouldn't say, oh, well, this is a worthless task. The farmer who's going to see a harvest is the one that's going to persevere in walking through the whole field and continuing to just sow the seed. Letting it land where it may and letting the seed do its work in the soil that it lands in. There's a whole lot that we don't see going on behind the scenes as we share the Gospel. First, there's satanic activity. Jesus says, when anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. Those who have hardened their hearts to Christ make it easy for Satan to come and take away the gospel when it is preached to them. We should be reminded of what Dean said to us several weeks ago in that passage about sinning against the Holy Spirit. He urged us to cooperate with God's means of grace. Don't harden your hearts. Listen. Believe. And that should make us all the more eager to pray, deliver us, Lord, from the evil one. It should make us take up the shield of faith so we can extinguish the lies of the devil. And then, second, there are fair-weather followers. This is the one that's sown on rocky ground. The one who hears the Word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root and is short-lived. And when distress or persecution comes, because of the Word, immediately he falls away. There are people, and you will know them, who become very excited about this Jesus thing and this Christianity that they've been introduced to. And we will find out later on they weren't really excited about Jesus at all. They were excited about the perceived benefits of Christianity, the thrill of new knowledge, seeing lives being changed, a community of friends... But in the end, what they loved was the context in which Jesus was offered. Not Jesus. And so when the context goes away, they go astray. Because it was never about Christ at all. Third, there are those who love this world more than they love the kingdom of Christ. Now the one sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the Word, but the worries of this age and the the deceitfulness of wealth choke the Word and it becomes unfruitful. For these people, in the end, it is not enough for them that God has promised to forgive their sins and give them a resurrection from the dead to live with Him in glory and in joy forever. They need to ensure that they have life now. And that they have a certain standard of living and and confidence in this life now. 
And they're worried about these things. And they think that earthly wealth can guarantee that they will have this health, wealth, and prosperity. They don't actually believe that the love of God in Christ is sufficient for nakedness and hunger and the sword. Maybe they've set their hope on a group of friends or a standard of living or freedom from uncertainty. And their preoccupation with these things and their need to control these things chokes out their ability to trust in Jesus. And these last two groups of false followers remind us how important it is to remember what it means to be blessed. To be blessed is to know Christ and His kingdom. The blessing is Jesus. And so when your community of friends leaves, when your wealth is exhausted or lost, when your life is ending, the blessing is Jesus. And we should examine ourselves to ensure that what we love is Christ and not merely the comfortable context that we presently enjoy in the name of Christ. Ask yourselves this morning, what makes me love Jesus? What is it that I love about Jesus? And if it went away, would I still love Jesus? And if what you love is Jesus, He doesn't go away. Everything else can be peeled back and perished. But Christ remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. Is He what you love? And these false followers should temper us in our gospel ministry. What is it that you are sowing? What is it that you are actually proclaiming? What is it that you are offering to people in whatever ministry you have? Because what you win people with is what you win people to. And what you win people to is what you keep people with. And if people confess Christ because of something other than Christ, they will forsake Christ when that other thing goes away. And then finally, there are true believers who don't stop believing. The one sown on the good ground, this is the one who hears and understands the Word, who does produce fruit and yields some 100, some 60, some 30 times what was sown. They hear about Christ. They understand the Gospel. And they love Jesus. And they want Him. And they want to know Him and the power of His resurrection. Christ is their all. And like the disciples here, they remain with Christ. They press in and they want to understand. And that's what it means to bear fruit. To persevere in believing in Jesus as He transforms you day by day into His image. And that should encourage us all to keep pressing in. You're blessed to know the secrets of the kingdom, so listen! Understand what I'm saying, Jesus says. And brothers and sisters in Christ, I just want to close by saying that this parable, with all of its warnings, should encourage you. It should actually fill you with hope and joy this morning and not frighten you. And I say that because I know that Satan is tempting some of you to despair right now. 
You heard that last line about fruit bearing and you're looking around the room, maybe physically, maybe mentally, and you're thinking, well, my life's not as fruitful as hers. I'm certainly not as fruitful as him. Therefore, I must be one of these false soils, these false believers. I'm not a Christian. And I certainly don't want to comfort anyone who is in a dangerous place and shouldn't be comforted. But for those of you who believe this morning, consider this. You're here this morning. And why are you here? It's because you want more of the bread of life. It's because you want Jesus. And you've battled all week against sin. Your sin and the sin of other people. The lies of the world. The attacks of Satan. And you've even doubted. And you've sinned. And you've stumbled. And you've fallen. And you've shrunk back. But you're here. And you're here because you want to hear again what you know to be true. That Jesus died for your sins and He rose from the dead. You want to hear again that God clothes you with righteousness by grace through faith. You want to be reminded this morning that His faithfulness doesn't end. And one day you will stop sinning And you will shine with Him in glory. You're here this morning because no matter how fierce the birds have been, no matter how thick the rocks have been, no matter how hot the sun has been, you believe that Jesus saves. The seed of the Gospel has sprouted in your heart. It hasn't been choked out. It hasn't died. And you're here because you want more. And that is fruit. I think of Oliver Twist, the beginning of that novel, having eaten, going up to the headmaster at the front of the room and going, please, sir, I want some more. And that's why we're here this morning. To say, please, Lord, I want some more. And Jesus isn't like that headmaster in Oliver Twist. He's not going to bash you over the head with a ladle and send you away for being an obstinate and ungrateful little boy. Because Jesus says, whoever has, more will be given to him. And he will have more than enough. You're here because you want Jesus. Because you've eaten the bread of life and seen that it's good. And as you ask for more, Christ will surely give you more. And you'll have everything you need in him. Let's pray.